Well, hey everyone, welcome to episode 131 of F-Stop Collaborate and Listen. This week's episode features a nature photographer and educator living in the state of Vermont, Brenda Petrella. Brenda is the owner of Outdoor Photography School and is is a passionate advocate for the Nature First Photography Movement. Equipped with a PhD in molecular biology, Brenda's goal is to get more women out doing nature and landscape photography. She runs an awesome YouTube channel where she inspires others to love the natural world through photography. Well, Brenda and I explored several really interesting topics this week, including her journey as a scientist and making the transition into full-time photography, why she thinks it's important for photographers to unite to protect the subjects we photograph, what it's like for her to be in nature, how we can shift our mindset in our culture of consumerism, and how we can get the next generation excited about photography, and lots more. Over on Patreon this week, Brenda and I talk all about her approach to non-iconic nature photography, including her process, and a lot more. Well, be sure to join in on the conversation about each podcast episode over on Nature Photographers Network, or NPN. Not only is NPN the best place to get critiques on your landscape and nature photography, it's also home to some of the most informative, thought-provoking, and inspiring articles on landscape and nature photography that I've ever found. I highly recommend you become a member today. Also, I wanted to announce the winner of our recent photography contest over on Patreon. The theme was Changing Seasons. We had two submissions this time, from Jared Hills and Michael Rhino. In the end, I had to pick Michael's photograph of changing fall color here in Colorado. The vibrant colors and excellent composition totally won me over. Thanks, Michael and Jared, for your awesome submissions. All right, well, before we get started, I wanted to tell you a little bit more about one of the podcast patrons, Anton Everin. He created an absolutely amazing luminosity masking panel called Arc Panel. I've tried it myself. It's nearly as powerful as TK Panel with some significant speed improvements. You can learn more about this on the liner notes for the podcast. You can try it for free at arcpanel.averine, that's A-V-E-R-I-N, dot photo. I also have some free copies to give away to listeners. To get one, Just share a quick post about the podcast on your social media account and send me a note. Okay, one last announcement. I really need your help picking the winner of our inaugural Landscape Conservation Award. We are still accepting nominations until December 31st. If you're interested in helping, please send me a note. Okay, let's get to the show. Brenda Petrella, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thanks, Matt. It's great to be here. Yeah, I'm uh, super excited uh, to get you on the show. And um, I think we have a lot lot in common philosophically uh, as photographers. So I think this is going to be a fun conversation. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I'm excited. (laughs) Well, cool. So uh, for people that maybe have never heard of you before and don't know who you are, maybe tell us a little little bit about yourself and, and then maybe transition into like how you got in into photography 
Sure. Sounds good. Um, so I uh, live in Vermont, which is a beautiful state, very photogenic. I recommend it to anyone who uh, hasn't been here yet. Um, with my wife and little baby girl, Maya, she's nine months old, and uh, a golden retriever and two uh, pet cows who sort of uh, <laughs> came unexpectedly into our lives a, a couple of years ago. So we we could talk about that if you want. But that sounds like um, a whole story right there. <laughs> it is <laughs> definitely is. Did not ever imagine having cows, but here we go. We have them. So uh, and uh, so when I'm not taking care of them or Maya, my daughter, um, I'm you know trying to spend as much time outdoors as I possibly can. Um, my background actually is not in photography. Um, that's a sort of a relatively new endeavor for me. Um, my, in my previous life, I was a cancer researcher and I have a, a PhD in molecular biology. And so I had a, uh, cancer research lab for a number of years where I studied the molecular mechanisms of mm-hmm. kidney cancer. Um, and that was sort of my thing. I was, you know, that's what I always wanted to do. And, uh, Right around it was sort of the 2010 2012 timeframe, um, federal funding for research was just really drying up, and I got to the point where it was like, okay, I can either try to keep getting funded when I have a five percent chance of getting funded, which means I have a ninety five percent chance of not getting funded, <laughs> <laughs> or I could try to figure out something else, and so. Um, I decided to do the latter, and at that point, I transitioned into a more um, like administrative role in science. And so, I became uh, the biosafety officer is the name for uh, Dartmouth College, which is a research institution near where we live. Um, and so, I oversaw research at the college um, in terms of safety and compliance. Um, oh, wow. So hmm. it wasn't really the most like inspiring work, <laughs> um, but it was a good use of my background as a scientist. And, um, you know, we didn't have to move or anything like that. Um, so I did that for a number of years, but it really uh, ultimately was a uh, soul sapping job. Um, <laughs> so it uh, I was working 60 to 80 hours a week and there was really no end in sight for that. And, um, around the same time, my dad required, uh, some heart surgery. And so it just sort of gave me a pause to step back and be like, okay, my dad's worked his butt off his whole life and he's about to go into this heart surgery. And do I really want to commit myself to this career where I'm absolutely miserable? I know that already. And I I can't fathom doing this for another 20 or 25 years. So, I ended up in a pretty deep depression um, and my marriage suffered and I just got to the point where I needed to make a choice. And so um, I made the hard decision to basically say goodbye to this like very stable career that had, you know, salary and benefits and all that good stuff um, to basically saying, I'm not doing this anymore. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I know I need to spend more time outside. that that's something that's been very consistent throughout my whole life is that I just, I am someone who needs to be outside. It's where I find most of my joy. And so, um, with that job, you know, I wasn't doing any of the things that I enjoy doing like hiking or biking or any of that. And, um, so anyway, how I got into photography is that, uh, I, I 
resigned from my job, had no idea what I was going to do. But about um, 10 months prior to that, I had gotten my first DSLR. And so I was having a lot of fun playing with that. And um, photography was had always been a, an interest slash passion of mine, although I hadn't the time to really pursue it in any sort of significant way. Um, and I never really felt like I could justify the cost of investing in a, a DSLR system. And so I never did. And so I was always like borrowing cameras or my dad had a couple of leftover cameras and I'd play with those, but nothing serious um, until excuse me, until I received my first DSLR as a gift. And then um, once I resigned, I was able to just pour myself into the study of photography, which is basically what I've done since. And um, shortly thereafter is when the cows arrived. And that's a whole other chapter. But (laughs) yeah. (laughs) So when you when you quit your job, did you have um, did you have some money socked away in order to kind of, you know, land on your feet? Or did you just dive right in and hope for the best? Like how did that transition happen? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I did have some money saved. Um, and my partner also is the primary breadwinner of our household. And so that Mm. helped a lot. Mm -hmm. So I had security in that regard. Mm -hmm. Um, and I had a much more leeway in terms of like figuring out what it was I was going to do next. And it wasn't necessarily going to be photography. My, my, my other primary interest has been in, um, sustainability and conservation. And uh, when I was still working at Dartmouth, I had started a, um, it's called a Green Labs program. So it's basically figuring out how to make science more sustainable. You know, like how do, how do we green up our labs, basically? There's so much waste that goes on there. Um, and so after I left, I basically had those two avenues. I was, I was like, I was either going to pursue the Green Labs idea or photography, and I was kind of doing them in parallel. And for whatever reason, fate, whatever, the doors kept closing on the Green Labs and the doors kept opening on the photography. So I finally got to a point where I was like, okay, I'm all in. I'm going to do the photography and see where it goes. So, and I'm still trying to see where it goes. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like most of us are. uh, Yeah. uh, It's like a constantly changing environment and, um, I don't know. Like it it's, is. you know, it's a difficult uh profession to to make work but very rewarding, I feel like. Yeah. I mean, I have no regrets. I like I said, I, I don't want to um take for granted the fact that, you know, I am supported financially and so I do have a lot more flexibility than a lot of people in order to pursue a dream. Um I'm very grateful to be able to do that. Um mm-hmm. and it is uh, not a clear path to figure out how to um, make a living doing mm-hmm. photography when, when you're not doing weddings and portraits and and that sort of thing. And I, I really, I do some events for nonprofits that I work for, um, but I don't, I really try to shy away from doing anything that's outside of the realm of what I want to be doing, which is spending more time outside in nature. So mm-hmm. um, I've tried to draw that line as as well as I can. You know, if, if I have the ability to say no to something like that, then I do <laughs> um, because I want to make sure that I'm still honoring that initial goal, which is I want to be outside. I don't, you know, 
I don't want to compromise that the way I have in the past. Mm -hmm. how, how did you, how did you know that being outside was such a big part of what you needed? It, it always has been ever since I was a kid. Um, so it's, uh, I don't know. It, it wasn't, there wasn't like a specific point where I realized that that was important to me that, or that I needed it. It was just always something that I knew if I was getting super stressed out with school or work or anything that if I could just spend like a quality 15 minutes, it didn't even have to be that long. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> mm -hmm. when I was in graduate school, you know, I'd work late nights in the lab and I'd come back to my apartment and, um, I made this rule for myself that I wasn't allowed to go inside until I saw, saw a shooting star. And so I would sit outside and wait. And, um, <laughs> we were, you know, I'm living in a place where the dark skies are pretty good compared to a lot of places. And so it wasn't that, um, I didn't have to wait that long necessarily to see one. And, um, but it was just enough time to just feel like, oh, okay, I can keep going. This is okay. Like, the universe is so much bigger than me and my problems right now, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's just a good way to find perspective. And I don't know, I find it meditative to be in the outdoors and, you know, not just to go for a run and that sort of thing, but to um, really just take the time to kind of take in your surroundings and um feel your senses and know what's going on around you. And, um, I don't know, being present to that moment. I find that to be very healing. Yeah. Would you say that, uh, I think you had mentioned earlier that, you know, it's been that way since you were a kid, like, were you, um, were you kind of raised on the outdoors and like, did you have a lot of, did your parents teach you a lot about like being outside and respecting the landscape and like how to be a part of the landscape? Like how, how did that work out for you? Yeah, definitely. Um, I grew up in New Jersey, so it doesn't sound like I did, but um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but at that time it was a, a rural part of the state. It was all farmlands, and um, my parents' place was uh, bordered a horse farm, and then these woods that had a creek. And you know, my brother and I would spend hours and hours playing down there and just exploring the woods and that sort of thing. And so that was always. Um, accessible and supported in our family just to like go play outside you know and mm -hmm. um and we would do uh we didn't we weren't like a super adventurous family i would say i'm probably the most adventurous person in my family um but it was enough to go on these family outings to parks and that sort of thing to just feel good about being outside and not you know that was enough of a a spark for me to you know, motivate me to move to an area where I could have accessibility to the outdoors. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's funny. I had to laugh when you said uh, that you did safety stuff because uh, I've always worked in nonprofits and, you know, when you, when you work in a nonprofit, you wear like 20 hats Yeah. and like the last four jobs I've had, including the one I have now, I've been the safety officer, you know? Oh. <laughs> so I totally feel your pain. Like, yes, I know how to comply with OSHA. Right. Exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I liked about the job, I don't, I don't know if you find this, but um, nobody likes compliance, right? I mean, it's no. such a drag. And, you know, I, the, the people I was dealing with are scientists who are stressed about like publishing and getting grants and training their students. And so they're like 
out, they're spent, you know, and the last thing they want to do is be like, oh, I need to comply with this regulation that doesn't even right. apply to the work I'm doing, but we all have to comply with it, you know. And um, what I liked was sort of trying to solve that problem of like, okay, well, how can we make this beneficial to them so that they're more motivated to comply, <laughs> you mm -hmm, know? Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's interesting. How it is in your world. Yeah, no, it's tough. Like people don't get super excited about it. I usually what I do is I, I tell them like a horrible story or like, you know, oh, you know, that oxygen tank over there, like if it fell over, it would, it could explode and shoot right through your chest. Right. So <laughs> probably don't want that to happen. Right. So let's make sure we put it where it belongs right. and chain it to the wall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's usually what I do is I just like to tell like crazy stories. Right. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> Real life scenarios are always helpful. So yeah. They're just worst case scenarios. Like, and this is why we do right. it. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, cool. So you, t you talked a little bit earlier about, um, you know, how important nature is to you and being outside. And um, I'm curious, as a photographer, do you feel like it's important uh, for us to want to protect uh, nature and the outdoors? Absolutely. I, I have no doubts about that. <laughs> um, you know, I, th I feel like it's our duty as as landscape nature photographers, uh, you know, the, this is our, these are our subjects that we're photographing. And, you know, from the simplistic viewpoint of like, if we're going to be as completely self-centered about this as possible, if we just want to continue taking photos, we need to protect these places, right? <laughs> so like, you can take it from like the most selfish standpoint, and that would be it, I think. Um, but really, it's, uh, I, I, I mean, we can get super philosophical about it, but I feel like, you know, we're in a place now where, um, you know, we're doing so much destruction to this planet that it's, you know, reversing course is almost feeling impossible, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, not to, not to be too, uh, negative about it, but I think it is kind of our reality in a way, like we're, we're so exponentially outgrowing the planet, that until we start to make um, daily decisions in our everyday lives about like, how can we be doing this better and not looking at this planet as a endless resource, but that needs to be consumed because it's convenient to get, you know, prime day shipping from Amazon or whatever. Okay. Like, you know, there's so many, there's so many things that we do that impact the, the, you know, the environment in our everyday lives, it's not necessarily even just like, where do we put our tripod, you know? Uh -huh. So I feel like, like there's a couple of different levels. It's like, okay, what are we doing as people in our everyday lives? And then also like, how can we try to influence other people who aren't spending so much time out in nature to, through our photography, to uh, inspire them to want to protect something that they don't have a connection with? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the challenges. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like that's kind of why it's important to for photographers especially to like come together and unite to do this because I feel like it's really impossible and daunting to just do it by yourself or one person at a time. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. 
Um, what are what are some ways what are some ways as a photographer that that you've tried to to do this for your own personal kind of process? Um, well, until now, not not a whole lot of different ways, but uh, going forward, um, you know, starting this new website uh, called Outdoor Photography School, and um, hopefully it'll be live by the time this podcast is aired. <laughs> and th- and through that, <laughs> I'm hoping um, not just to be teaching, you know, the nuts and bolts of photography, which, you know, there are tons of websites out there that already do that really effectively. Um, but to infuse in that also this appreciation for nature and the, the importance of protecting it. Um, and so, um, that's one way that I'm, I'm hoping going forward that I can start to sort of weave this into, you know, what I'm doing as a photographer outside of that. Um, sometimes I try to make my Instagram posts sort of leaning that way of like, you know, this is how we respect a wild animal or, you know, um, yeah, I guess mostly through that. I haven't, I haven't posted images that are like, this is what not to do, uh-huh, <laughs> you know? Uh-huh. Um, I don't feel very comfortable doing that. And I think my approach is, um, much more aligned with like, let's just give people the tools they need to make these good decisions. You know, like they might not just know what would be the better decision to make it. They may ultimately not care, but, um, you know, I think, I think the point that I want to get to is trying to help people care. Mm-hmm. And one of the things you said earlier when you were talking about this was kind of like this idea that the that nature and planet Earth are just a resource that people are using. And yeah. I don't know about you, but I see a lot of people in the photography world, especially on Instagram, um, not to bash Instagram or people that are really popular on Instagram, but it seems like a lot of people, um, and maybe not even intentionally, are kind of that's what they're doing they're using uh nature as a prop or as a way to gain it to themselves or to what they're trying to sell and i'm curious if if that's something you've seen as well and um how do we like what can we do to convince those people that maybe there's a different way of doing it yeah i i totally agree i i have seen that and you know (laughs) it's a really hard thing to change people's minds with if they're already doing something like that. Um, so I don't have a very good solution to, you know, people who are already disrespecting nature and, you know, taking illegal or inappropriate photos that damage plants or, you know, whatever it is that they're doing that's, uh, you know, desecrating the nature scene that they're photographing. Um, you know, it's, uh, I think mm-hmm. that's a harder mountain to climb and convince people, but I think people who are just learning photography or the like younger people who are, have a lot more awareness around climate change, for instance, um, that they might care a little bit more and, um, that might be, you know, part of a way of like relaying this message of like, Hey, this is how you take this photo. And this is how you don't like, you know, disrespect nature. This is how you can do this in a responsible way. Um, 
so I think through, you know, teaching, through workshops uh, and that sort of way of messaging to people, you know, hopefully that'll start to sink in. But the people who are already doing it and being really disrespectful, I don't I don't know how to reach them to change their minds without it being a, a war or com- <laughs> confrontation, a social media war. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. Um, you know, it's. I don't know. Do you have any, any thoughts on that? Oh, geez. You know, honestly, like I've tried to have those conversations with some people. Um, actually have a kind of a funny story. Um, I did a podcast with the guy that runs the, uh, Instagram account, uh, public lands hates you. Um, yeah. And, uh, he had mentioned a photographer on Instagram that, uh, by name, by his account name. And he said, he, you should talk to that guy. Cause he would be interesting. Cause I've had to quote unquote, call him out for certain behaviors on my Instagram page and what I'm doing. And, um, I never actually reached out to him, but he actually reached out to me and asked and oh, asked wow. me to take his, any reference of his name off of the podcast because he was getting lots of messages from people that were hateful and mean and cruel and things like that. Um, and so I, you know, I just engaged him in conversation and his response was like, Oh, I, I'm all about leave no trace. I'm all about this. I'm all about that. Like, I don't want these places to get run over or damaged. And then I was like, well, that's cool. But I was like, but you posted a video of, this location near me in Colorado that most people like 10 to five years ago, didn't even know this place existed and it's pretty magical place, but he posted a video from that location and like geotagged it and everything like that. And it just went super viral, like millions and millions of views. And now like everyone wants to go there to get their Instagram photos of that place. Um, And it's complete shithole now. Like people are pooping everywhere. Like there's, toilet paper everywhere that you know it's just a total nightmare total disaster at this location that used to be super pristine nobody knew about it um so i just pointed that out to him and i was like you know you didn't have to like point out that this place existed um and that's right i think a lot of people don't make that connection that like if you have a huge following um on instagram or facebook or whatever like you have a very loud uh, audience, a loud mouthpiece, you know, you, you have a megaphone and right. people are going to hear you. Right. Um, and I don't know. It's like I tried to explain to him why maybe you shouldn't do that. And he just didn't understand it at all. Like he didn't see a problem with yeah. it. It was no big deal. Um, and I, me personally, I've struggled with that. I actually that that very lake, um, I had a magazine reach out and ask me to write an article about that about that lake and about that area um and i struggled internally like do i even want to do this and finally what i decided is yes i do want to do it um i was okay with that but i made sure to use that article to explain to people the importance of leave no trace the importance of like not camping right on the lake shore like i took that as an opportunity to try to educate people on things they should be aware of and think about when they're there so um yeah so yeah, I feel great. like it's hard though. Um, like, how do we how do we reach the next generation, especially you know those kids that are maybe in urban areas that 
don't get out into nature or, you know, didn't grow up with, like, how do we reach those people to try to instill in them some knowledge and some ethics? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I'm, I'm hopeful (laughs) uh, because um, I feel like there's, you know, the next generation, they grew up in the whole climate crisis and they're very much aware of it. And, you know, uh, just this past week of since this recording, um, there was the the climate strike and the climate march. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So I just, it, I find that to be hopeful that the next generation is like, what the heck guys? Like, (laughs) why aren't we doing anything about it? You know? And, you know, they're, uh, I think there's like a, I can't remember what they call, they identify themselves as, but it's like the anti-human extinction group, you know, they're like, we will not be extinct, you know? And, um, and I don't think the solution is to, you know, technologically find our way out of this mess. Like, I think that's a possibility that we could do that, but the, the consumer side is what needs to change. Like, we're consuming a limited resource and um you know until we figure out not how to not consume so much um we're not going to really reverse course on what we're doing so mm-hmm. um the younger generation i feel like uh you know they're primed to receive that kind of messaging and um and with platforms there you know uh for instance i'm uh in collaboration with a, a colleague, his name is Steve Gorman. He and I started this thing called the Human Geography Project. On uh, the, the Microsoft has this uh, online educator program. I'm not. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but I'm not. They when they bought Skype a number of years ago, they started this um, Microsoft Educator program, where you can build these programs and then reach kids all over the world via Skype to you know, teach them about climate change or about polar bears in the Arctic or whatever. So, um, so he and I teamed up to start this project on basically bringing that awareness of this human connection with nature and how, you know, relevant that is even in this modern world that we live in and how can we, um, make sure that we revere that relationship and what can we do? So that's one way, you know, is, um, trying to reach classrooms and teach these concepts in some way. Um, and then, um, you know, lately in the last couple of years, I've, I've been moving my efforts more towards education rather than, uh, photography myself as I don't get to do as much personal shooting myself anymore, but, um, Uh. yeah, much to my dismay, but in, in that I've, been really surprised by how many kids and families have approached me saying, Hey, my, my kid is really interested in photography. Would you mind teaching my five-year-old how to use a camera? And I'm like, what? <laughs> like they want to, you know, like I, I've been really shocked by that. And, uh, especially with the smartphones and how excellent they are at photography, that, that there would be kids, I would say the majority have been under 12, who have expressed an interest in in learning the ins and outs of the process of photography, and um, so that's made me start to think, like, huh, like maybe that's another way. Like, you know, obviously that's a much smaller population of kids, but kids who are interested in photography, we can start at a very young age of teaching them how to be respectful when they go out to take their yeah. Photographs. No, that's cool. Like, um, 
I was just having a conversation the other day with another photographer, um, Rajesh uh, Jodhis Warren, and his daughter is a photographer. And he, what he's noticed is he's trying to reach out to Sony to get them to like pay attention to the kids that are taking pictures because like that's the next generation of people yeah. that are going to buy your products. And right. Yeah. And it's, his experience has been like, they don't want to even want to talk, talk to you about kids. And I think it's just, it's interesting. I don't really see a lot of brands reaching out to kids or to get them excited about photography or photography gear. I wonder, I'm just curious why that is maybe just cause they don't have the money, but, um, I don't know, like you'd think you'd want to get, you know, or create a product line that's easy for kids. Right. Or, uh, I know back yeah. in the day, uh, Kodak, they created like the Kodak Brownie, which was like, that's right. Yeah. It was like designed to be easy enough for a kid to use. Um, so I think it's just interesting how maybe, I don't know, photography brands don't seem to like really care a whole lot about kids. Um, yeah. Which, to your point, I think is kind of, who we need to be targeting now to get kind of, to kind of instill these ideas in. Right. Right. Exactly. I mean, I, I guess we can look at any major change, you know, like learning how to wear a seatbelt. Like there was a whole generation of people who were like, this is ridiculous. You know, you're stealing my freedom and, you know, or wearing helmets while being on a motorcycle or whatever. And, um, you know, at some point that became the norm. Mm-hmm. And, and it became normal. And so I suppose in some ways we could, you know, try to study those changes, those sort of cultural changes that needed to happen um, when met with a lot of resistance in the, in the generation that was the one who had to change the most, I suppose. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. A friend of mine works at the Wilderness Society mm-hmm. and, um, and uh, he said they're starting to do some programs uh, in urban areas to try to get kids, like bus them into wilderness areas so that they can experience them for the first time. Yeah. That's um, and I'm wondering, you know, you said earlier, like being outside and all that's um, a huge driver for you and it's a huge part of your life. But I'm wondering, this is maybe just a, kind of an experiment, but how would you, what would you tell kids? Uh, maybe a 10 year old kid who's never been in nature or in the wilderness before, like how would you tell them what it's like to be in nature? Hmm. That's a really good question. Without them being in nature with me when we were having this conversation. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like how would you even yeah, describe it? That's a good question. Um, I guess it would be sort of a, a journey to peacefulness um, is how I experience it. Um, you know, it's not like the instant I walk outside, I'm like, ah, oh, thank goodness I'm all better. You know, it's, it's more like it takes, <laughs> you know, a good 20, 30 minutes of me being on a trail before my brain finally, you know, calms down enough where I'm like noticing things around me. And I think that's the key, that key transition of going from just the hamster wheel of your brain and everything you have going on in life to, and, and, and not also, you know, I guess part of that is, being hooked to your device and responding to social media and all of that, like shutting that all off for 20 minutes is so transformative, <laughs> you know, and it doesn't even take that long, yeah. but to, um, you know, then find yourself in this forest or a hilltop or whatever it is. It doesn't even have to be a dramatic location. Um, 
to notice the birds are singing. What does the air smell like? You know, um, what do you see? What movements are going on? What's the, what are the colors? You know, are they outstanding? Are they not remarkable at all? You know, I don't know, patterns, you know, and just becoming aware of all of those things, I feel like is the tuning into um, being present to, to what nature has to offer and that mm-hmm. feeling of peacefulness. Yeah, it's almost, you know, the word that comes to my mind is, you know, this idea of mindfulness, like you're, you know, you're focused on kind of what your senses are experiencing. And I think it's really hard to replicate or beat that feeling of being in nature and starting to notice all of those things. And I don't know, like, like, like you, I kind of grew up that way. And I think I kind of take it for granted, because that's just the way it's always been for me. But um, yeah. But I could, you know, unless you've had those experiences, I feel like it's pretty tough to actually under, understand the importance of actually wanting to do something to keep those places that way. <laughs> right, right. I think I think people need to be exposed to it and and not just once, you know. Mm-hmm. I have a, a funny story. So my, my parents have this cabin in Vermont and uh, it's like a camp. And when I was in graduate school... Um, my graduate school friends and I were like, yeah, let's go stay at the cabin for a weekend. It'll be, our program was called molecular cell biology. So MCB, we're like, MCBers go to camp, right? <laughs> and so we like go and we spend a few days at the cabin and fish on the lake and all that kind of stuff. And the first night we were there, it was, you know, it's like in the middle of nowhere. So, you know, you don't see lights, you don't hear people, there are no roads, you know, it's very isolated. And the first night we were there, it was, you know, around the campfire and all they wanted to do, all my friends wanted to do was like scream at the top of their lungs and be like, nobody's out here, you know, like we're all good. And just like the amazement of like, we're in the middle of nowhere and we can do whatever we want, you know? And like two nights later, we're sitting around the campfire and everyone was just quiet. Like they had finally like got it out of their system and they were just enjoying the quiet, you know? And, um, it's that transition that I think we need to go through. And so I don't think it's, you know, for someone who's never been in nature in any sort of significant way, I don't think it takes just one exposure. I think it takes a while to sort of unwind from where our brains normally exist to where they need to be to, to feel connected to nature. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. It's funny. Cause you're telling that story. I was reminded of another story of that lake I was thinking about earlier, the last time I was there, um, we got kind of inundated by people in the middle of the day, like hiking up for the day. And they were, uh, you know, j- swimming in the lake and just screaming at each other and being as loud as possible. And I was just just super annoyed, you know, like I'm, yeah. I'm here trying to enjoy this amazing place um, in peace. And you're yelling right. and screaming. Um, but uh to your point, for some people, maybe that is how they enjoy that place, but uh, yeah. it's tough, man. Um, anyway, it, I struggle yeah. with that because I feel like I get like I get like really like in a bad mood <laughs> when I'm around like totally. people like that. I'm like, hey, come on, <laughs> be quiet. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Look at the stars. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's- yeah. I'm totally with you. Yeah. So, 
Um, I know that you started a YouTube channel and um, obviously that's a great platform to reach young people. Um, yeah. I'm curious kind of what, what your goal was when you set off to start doing stuff on YouTube and kind of what has your experience been so far? Um, well, I can tell you from the start, I had no goals. <laughs> it was all just a big experiment <laughs> when I started the YouTube channel. Um, so it was about a year and a half ago, I guess. It was like March over a year ago when I started. Um, and at that point, I, I really wasn't an active YouTube person. Um, and I, I was more active on Instagram. And I had a few people contact me and said, hey, do you have any you know, online tutorials or workshops or anything? And I didn't. And so I you know, would just pass them along to somebody else or whatever. And um, I was chatting with my neighbor's son who is in college. And uh, he was like, well, why don't you just start a YouTube channel? And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> that, that seems insane. <laughs> Why would I do that? And he was like, well, just give it a shot. So I was like, well, okay, well, you know, I can see if I like the process or, you know, mostly the, can I figure out how to do video and um, edit and make an interesting vi video and all that kind of stuff. So it was really uh, a way for me to do an experiment of, you know, would, am I, pissing in the wind or am I going to make an impact? Is like somebody going to actually notice these videos or, yeah. or not? Do I, do I have the chops for this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, um, and I, I, I have to admit, I really do not like being in front of the camera. And so that was another thing that was, uh, like, oh gosh, I feel completely awkward and, um, you know, I don't need to put myself out to the world feeling completely awkward, but, uh, but then I realized, you know, I can edit anything. I can take as many takes as I need to take in order for it to, you know, seem a little bit coherent. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and that sort of took the pressure off. And I was like, and no one's going to watch them anyway. So what does it matter? You know, <laughs> um, <laughs> and then I, people got interested and um, I've been sort of kind of blown away. It succeeded my expectations, um, continues to grow. So um I'm completely baffled by the whole thing. Um, I'm very grateful. And I think, um, you know, what I've learned in the process is I really enjoy teaching. Um, and um, people seem to enjoy the way I teach. So it's a good mix. Mm -hmm. That's cool. So um, yeah. how did you, like, one of the things, I always struggle with video, so... Um, like, did you watch other people or like, how did you prepare yourself to, to produce these videos? Yep. I, I did watch a number of videos. I mean, I'm a, a self-taught photographer, like most of us here, I think. And, um, so I, I've watched a lot of YouTube videos trying to understand <laughs> photography <laughs> mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. you know, and I can, you know, over time tell which ones I find actually useful and, um, or are not produced well, or are more entertaining than they are useful. And, and my goal was to try to, my, my number one goal is to, you know, teach a lesson on something, some aspect of photography effectively through, you know, examples and, and showing what I'm doing and that sort of thing. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Like giving, giving the why behind my reasoning for making the choices I'm making. Um, but I try to put in a little bit of entertainment, but not too much so that it's like 
it's not quite a vlog. You know, it's not just, I don't want it about me, but it's more about transitioning from one thing to another. I'll make like a little story. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I think I, I tried to take what I enjoy from other people's videos and, and turn it into something. And um, this is kind of an awkward question, but um, as a woman uh, doing videos on YouTube, have you ever been on the receiving end of like really misogynistic or like just super rude comments about, about you as a person or, you know, your physical form or, or things like that? Thankfully, I, I really, I've been very lucky in that I haven't had a lot of uh, trolls yeah. on my channel. <laughs> yeah, I've been really lucky. I've had a few um, and I've, I've mostly ignored them, but um, for the majority, I would say fast majority is positive comments, which is really nice. People have been really supportive. One, one of my motivations for doing the YouTube channel was that uh, I wanted to help inspire more women to do landscape photography because it's such a male dominated field. And I've been sort of perplexed by that of like, why, like, why aren't there more women doing landscape photography? I have, I have no idea. Like, I, I don't understand that. And, um, so I thought like, well, by example, you know, people can see me and feeling comfortable in the outdoors and, uh, you know, it, teaching it and, and maybe they'd feel inspired to go out and do their own photography. Um, but when I look at the analytics on YouTube, 95% of my followers are men. So, <laughs> so, uh, I don't know why I don't, I don't know if it's just cause literally 95% of photographers who are interested in landscape photography are men, or just, I appeal to that audience more. I have no idea, but, um, I think I've gotten a couple of comments about like, how do I protect myself and I should carry a gun and that sort of thing. Um, and I've had some, com- I had, I think I had one guy propose to me, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, which, which I took as sweet, but not sure. You know, sure. Threatening. Right. Yeah. Well, that's funny. Uh, um, why do you think there's not more women doing landscape and nature photography? I really don't know. I, I don't know if it's a, you know, a, a personality thing or a comfort thing. I mean, I'm, I'm sure comfort is part of the equation. Mm-hmm. Like there are some women who, you know, aren't physically able for one, maybe to do, go on long hikes and that sort of thing, or, um, feel intimidated, um, being alone in nature, you know, uh, but that doesn't mean they can't still do it, you know, like they can travel with a buddy or in a group or whatever. Um, I thankfully have had very rare occasions when I have felt that, uh, gender difference. Um, I would say for the most part, I feel very confident being outside and I mostly do photography by myself. That's how I prefer to do it. Um, cause it's my, you know, my, my, my me time basically. Um, and I re- rarely feel uh, unsafe. Um, but again, I, I grew up being outdoors and everything. And so it's just part of who I am. And so I don't know if that's part of it. Um, but I have had a few instances. One in particular that comes to mind is, uh, I was scoping out this location for uh, Milky Way shot, which was basically up, 
up a hike that went to a ledge and I had, I had not been there before. So I didn't know if they're what the ledge looked like. And, um, but you know, with the planning, uh, apps that I use and everything, it looked like it would make a good Milky Way shot. So I wanted to scope it out and I got there and there was another car in the parking lot or a couple of cars, I can't remember. And as I was like most of the way up the hike, I could hear just this group of guys uh, making a total ruckus. They were playing music and it sounded like they were throwing rocks off of the ledge. And so I assumed they were drinking and I was like, hmm. yeah, it probably doesn't make sense for me to go up there. <laughs> you know, like I'm by myself. Nobody knows where I am. Like, it's not like I, I you know, I was just sort of wandering around scoping locations. So I didn't have like a set trip plan. And um, so I turned around and I was really bummed. I, you know, I, I sat there for a good 15 minutes really debating being like, do I go? I should just go. Like it, it shouldn't, I should not not feel safe doing this. Like I can, I can handle myself, you know? Uh, but I'm like, I'm way outnumbered. Nobody knows where I am. They're probably drinking. Like I have all this expensive equipment in my back, you know, I, I don't need to get into an uncomfortable, and it's not, and it's not, a, it's like, even if they were fine and were respectful to me, I would still feel uncomfortable taking some test shots, yeah. you know, <laughs> you know, I'd feel very self-conscious. So I, in the end I was like, eh, it's just not even worth it, but I wish mm-hmm. that wasn't an mm-hmm. issue, you know? Yeah. That's stuff that for the most part, I feel like men don't really have to think about, you know, it's like. I mean, yeah. I don't know. Like last year, I was on a trip with my son, who was at the time was ten, and it was just me yeah. and him at this campsite, kind of in the middle of nowhere. And this truck drove by with two guys with loud music, and they were obviously drinking beers. And uh, and I, you know, I was like, uh, hopefully these guys aren't like gonna start something, you know. And they they didn't, but right. you know that kind of stuff's always kind of in the back of my mind, but. I feel like for whatever reason, well, not for whatever reason, I think there's totally valid reasons, you know, women probably have to think about yeah. that stuff a little bit, even, even a little bit more than we do, you know? So, um, right. Cause you know, right. I think there is probably a little bit more risk involved, especially if you're by yourself. Yeah, I think so. I think there is. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, and I think, um, you know, learning about self-defense or taking, you know, a, self-defense course or whatever is, is helpful for at least, mm-hmm. um, feeling a little bit more confident in being able to handle a situation if, if it, something came up. Um, hopefully that doesn't happen, but yeah, you know, and I think about like, like what's different about, uh, you know, like what I'm doing going off into nature by myself to t- do photography versus like, how is that like inherently more dangerous than, um, you know, walking down the streets of New York City as a woman by herself, you know, like, is it the presence of more people or, you know, like, I feel like there's, there are threats that happen around us all the time. And it's just sort of what we consider in our own perceptions, what's more dangerous or not, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, like, I don't I, know. I, I think some of it's um, probably based in previous experiences that you've had or something, you know, like, I've had some pretty horrible run-ins with people in the wilderness. Like, I mean, I could tell you this story, but it's a pretty, it's a pretty jacked up story. Um, I was actually camping 
with uh with my wife and my my parents and our son who at the time was like one and a half yeah and it was national it was just the national ground it was just you know um, uh open camping camp wherever you want kind of deal we were camped in this uh campsite that was right off of the road that had kind of a road a little side road going through it um and uh like one in the morning this truck full of guys like teenagers like 18 19 20 year olds comes rumbling up the road right through our campsite screaming yelling partying and hooting and hollering and they were like cussing at us like you stole our campsite they were just ridiculous oh my god um so my dad and i got up because we were worried you know and so like we kind of walked down the hill a little bit to kind of see where they camped in the dark and kind of made note of where they parked and camped and everything like that came back to our tents and tried to go back to sleep even though they were like blasting their music full volume and then they started shooting guns oh my god (laughs) yeah and this is probably like a hundred yards away so yikes and it was loud enough where you could hear the songs like oh that's that song i mean it was really loud wow um and uh so anyway we kind of made the decision that we were going to leave, pack up and leave in the, the next morning, yeah. even though we had planned to camp there for like three or four more days. Wow. We just didn't want to deal with that. Right. So anyway, it's one guy comes. Um, oh, so then in the morning, uh, I walked down the hill with my dad to see like if what had happened. And they were all like, you know, probably hung over and sleeping. And I noticed that one of their tires was flat. And I was like, oh, they probably like shot it or something. (laughs) Right. So anyway, uh, like maybe an hour or two later, one of them comes walking up into our campsite. And he's like, hey, do you guys have a tire iron? Because we forgot ours and we have a flat tire. And my dad was like, well, are you with that group that was shooting guns all night and playing music real loud? And he was like, no, man, that's crazy. And we knew he was lying. Yeah. And my dad was like, well, you're full of shit. So no, I'm not going to let you borrow my tire iron. Yeah. And he was like, come on, please, man. So then he walked off. And then like 30 minutes later, he comes walking back up with two of his buddies. And one of them has like a gun strapped to his chest. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And then again, they're like, can we just please borrow, borrow it? And we're like, no, we're not going to help you. Like you guys are you guys were jerks last right. night. Yeah. And uh, he was like, well, hopefully you make it out alive. And then oh they start God. walking down the road and he pulls the gun out and he just starts shooting bullets into the ground. Oh, my God. Like, like menacing us, right? Like like, we're, like they're going to do something to us. Yeah. So we finished packing up. And my dad had a gun with him. Like, And thankfully, he didn't. He knew better than to like try to do something stupid. Right. You know? But anyway, so we drove out and uh, contacted the sheriff, made a statement, um, and they actually, sheriff actually went up and interviewed them all, and basically confirmed everything that happened with them, which basically like drinking with a firearm and then threatening somebody—that's you know that's menacing. That's a right. felony. Yeah. Um, and they asked if we wanted to press charges, and we did. Um, good. And I don't think anything ever happened because the DA never got in touch with us after that. But huh. yeah, like ever since that happened, like we just don't super enjoy camping as a family, you know? Yeah, like, I don't blame that, you. So yeah, that was a long story, but 
it was pretty jacked up. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I, you know, people on YouTube have asked me like, Oh my gosh, don't you feel like scared of the raccoons? <laughs> you know, right. like, you know, and I'm like, no, gosh, that's like, that is, I am more scared of humans than I am of animals yeah, <laughs> by a long shot, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. People ask me that all the time too. Um, I'm like, no, I'm not really too worried about anything except for maybe mountain lions. And other than that, mostly yeah. what I'm concerned about is other people. Um, so For sure. Yeah, which is really unfortunate. Yeah, it is. Well, so back to the whole YouTube thing. So yeah. Uh, what are your plans for, for using that platform going forward? Well, I'd like to continue a lot of what I've been doing, which, which uh, is basically um, landscape photography tutorials. Um, and, uh, you know, I, as I mentioned earlier, I'm starting this new website called the Outdoor Photography School, which will be mostly a blog and resource-based website, but it'll tie into what I'm also doing on YouTube. So YouTube will be sort of, you know, free video tutorial content. And then, um, the blog will be more article based content. Um, mm -hmm. so yeah, so I'm hoping I, I probably in all, you know, being realistic, I'm not going to be publishing videos the way I was before, which I was trying to do once a week or once every two weeks. Um, just now with the baby, uh, it, it's pretty unrealistic for me to be able to fit that in at this point. So maybe again, in the future, I can up my production. I've been trying to come up with, uh, video topics that would not necessarily require me to be out in the field. Um, that I can just do from my home office, like post-processing or, um, I did a Milky Way series that involved, uh, teaching about photo pills and people really appreciated that. Um, so I might do oh, that's cool. like a photo pills series, just like basics. How do you use it? You know, it took me forever to figure it out. <laughs> I, I love it. I think it's a, a fantastic, uh, app. Um, but I had it for a year before I was like, all right, I really need to figure this out because, uh, I just, every time I just try to on my own, I can't. Um, and you know, so I really needed to like read the documentation and understand how it worked, but it's such a powerful tool. So, oh, it's amazing. yeah. So if I can like break it down and, you know, some, you know, people just need to know some of the basics, like what do the different symbols mean? <laughs> you know, like right. that just gets you started and, you know, it, it's just a huge help and, uh, it feels much less intimidating. So, so I might do like a photo pills series again, that would be something I could do from home that would require less time than being out in the field. So, right. Yeah. So I'm trying to strategize yeah, it that cool. way. I love the, uh, I love the, uh, virtual reality or augmented reality for like night. Totally. Night augment. Oh, it's so yeah, cool. So helpful. It's like, Oh, the, the Milky way is going to be right over there and the moon is going to be right there. And so now I know how I compose this photograph. <laughs> right. Exactly. And I find it so much more conceptual to, to see that, you know, especially like the orientation of the Milky Way, like how vertical is it going to be? Um, it's so much easier to see that with the um, virtual reality than it is on the map, you know, where you have like the dotted line and the. Yes, yeah, for sure. Lines. Yeah. You're like, oh, it's like going to be over there somewhere if I look that direction. But when you get the augmented reality, you're like you can literally just see it overlaid with the terrain, which is awesome. Yeah. 
yeah it's very yeah, very I cool love, i love photo pills like it's it's helped me so many times like know like oh the sun's gonna be shining through that thing over there so that's probably gonna be a decent photo <laughs> right right exactly yeah it's awesome well yeah. cool so what about uh what's what's gonna happen with the um outdoor photography school like what are your plans for that well, I was I, I hoped it was live by now, but I'm having some technical difficulties on the back end of the website at the moment, so it's not yet published. Um, but uh, there is a coming soon page where if people want to check it out, it's just outdoorphotographyschool.com. And hopefully by the time this airs, it will be live. Uh, and so people get access to the full website at that point. Um, but like I said, it's going to be um, basically like a home base for uh, teaching photography, you know, outdoor photography, obviously, uh, which will include landscape, nature, um, aerial, like drone stuff, eventually, um, wildlife, um, you know, so forth. Uh, and, um, it'll be mostly article based. Um, and, but my hope is that in the future, I'll, I'll have some, uh, tutorials that people could sign up for if they want online. Um, but that's probably, we're probably like a year or two away from that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'd, I'd rather build up the website, you know, make it a good resource for people. Um, it'll, I'm going to be focusing the, the articles both on photography, but also on the outdoors. And so just sort of the basics of like packing a backpack and picking hiking boots and should you use walking poles oh, yeah, and totally. like, how do you take care of your knees when you're on a hike? And that's something that's close to my heart because I have terrible knees. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, things like that, that, um, I feel like are sort of the basics of like how to be in the outdoors so that hopefully people will feel more comfortable being in the outdoors and they'll, they can do it in a safe and responsible way. So, um, and, um, are, are you, how are you going to monetize your photography business? Uh, so affiliate marketing will be a, a source on the website. Um, so I'm going to have a resources page, which will list both free and, um, paid recommendations anywhere from like gear to books to even this podcast I have listed on there. Um, and yeah. And, um, you know, why, why I think these are valuable resources for people to check out. So some of those will be through affiliate links. Um, and then, like I said, down the road, I want to be, uh, having, I'll have like free tutorials obviously available on YouTube, but then I want to put together like actual classes of, um, content online that would be more premium content. Hmm, nice. That's a, that's a great, great idea. Um, it's funny you mentioned affiliate links. Um, I'm a B&H affiliate, um, which I think probably almost every photographer I know is also a B&H affiliate. But yeah. uh, the most uh, well-known B&H affiliate is uh, Ken Ken Rockwell. You yeah. know, he does yeah. those, yep. those lens and camera reviews. And, they like, are he always intense has... reviews. <laughs> and the, But they're like always, like everything's amazing. Right. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. it's like like this lens is a is amazing and like if you've ever used it you're like well it's it's okay right like, come on dude but anyway i was talking to my bnh guy about him he said he brings in like millions of dollars of sales a month wow yeah crazy that is crazy <laughs> and he's just got the whole seo thing figured out you totally know? yeah i mean 
Camera Labs is another one. I think is the name of it. it they have a, a YouTube channel uh-huh. and and a podcast, and he does a really good job. I feel like he does a very thorough job reviewing gear. Um, and I just I know that that would be the better way to go in terms of being able to monetize the site um, if if I did a lot of gear reviews. But I'm just not like don't get me wrong. I love gear and I love the gear I have, but I'm not. Uh, it's kind I just of don't soul crushing. It is like I just don't want to spend my time reviewing gear. Like that's just not that interesting to me. I know, I know. <laughs> you know, like I, I'd much rather say like this is what you need in a good camera or a good tripod or whatever, and you go pick your own. You know, like um, and like here's here's maybe some know. choices you could make. Like these three are pretty good, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I just um, I'd much rather teach about photography or or just go out and do photography myself rather than like review a tripod yeah no i've totally Um, i don't know like it's so funny how a lot of uh quote-unquote you know photography personalities out there you know like the jared polis or or was it jared Polin, whatever frono's photo photo. yeah frono's like all those kind of guys like all they do is just try to get every new camera lens or camera release that happens like they just try to hype it up so much that you, so that you'll use their affiliate links it's just i don't know it's funny yeah. like it doesn't feel super authentic to me personally but no no me neither yeah so yeah so that's why the stuff that i'm i'm probably i've got 50 50 in terms of things that are like absolutely free that you can check out like this web like your podcast or uh even books it's not like i'm gonna make a ton of money on being like hey you should really read this book and i'm (laughs) gonna get 14 cents Uh, from amazon exactly (laughs) yeah it's that's so funny yeah but but that's okay like that's okay it's not about that and you know uh you know i'm hoping that the the real real revenue generator will be the courses when whenever i get around to making them yeah cool well I, i think that's that's gonna be awesome and i love that you're kind of, I love that you kind of have the goal of, you know, trying to get more women out there experiencing nature as photographers. Cause I feel like that is kind of a voice that's been missing to some degree. So that's yeah. really cool that you, you're trying to do that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And I have to say, it's been really nice. Like, uh, some of the comments I've gotten from guys on YouTube have said like, Oh, it's so refreshing to see a, a female landscape photographer, you know? Awesome. And yeah, so that's really nice. It's not that, you know, like uh, I'm not shunning the opposite sex inadvertently or whatever. It's nice that they're like, Hey, that's so great. There's, there's a female doing this too. And it's like, yes, we could all do it together. <laughs> right. Totally. That's cool. Yeah. Well, awesome. So, um, winding down, I'm curious, who do you, th- who do you think our listeners should want to hear from here on the podcast? Like who would you recommend? Well, I've got a couple of ideas and they're all females, uh, okay. since we were just talking about that. Uh, so the first person I recommend is Melissa Grew. I don't think oh, she's yeah. been on the co- podcast. She has amazing wildlife photography. Yeah. Her and, wildlife photography is awesome. Uh, it's incredible. And what I really appreciate about her work, so she's a, obviously a wildlife, but also conservation photographer. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I think we, a lot of us have a real sour taste in our mouth about social media, but I feel like she's doing a really good job of using that platform 
just as a tool with, among a lot of other tools that she's using to try to get her message out about conservation and how to be respectful of wildlife. And when she's posting to Instagram, for instance, she's always, there's always a lesson in every post. Mm. Um, so she puts a lot of thought in her captions and, um, and I really appreciate that. And she's maybe, uh, maybe somebody could nominate her for the F stop collaborate and listen landscape conservation award. I think she would be a fantastic candidate. <laughs> I would be happy to nominate her. <laughs> yeah, you can fill the form out. Yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. Cool. All yeah, right. her work is really great. Um, and then uh, since we were talking about the younger generation, um, somebody who came across uh, my path somehow, I can't remember exactly how I found her name, but her name's Ashley Scully. She's 17. Uh also doing mostly wildlife photography um, and some landscapes. And uh, her photography is just amazing. I'm just like blown away by this 17-year-old and what she's been able to do. And she's gotten like numerous awards. She's may- way more qualified as a photographer as I am at this point. <laughs> um, yeah, it's incredible. So, And I, I think she's actually either collaborated with or studied under Melissa Grew. So okay. um cool. She might she might be interesting to talk to, especially as a, a young person, you know, aspiring to the next generation of uh, conservation photographers. Yeah. Um, another person who I admire is Amy Gulick. Okay. She's uh, spent a lot of time up in Alaska, and um, she's done a lot of conservation projects up there. Uh, so she might be a good person to chat with about these types of topics. Um, and then, uh, Christina Mittermeier, um, is also, she's less of a landscape photographer, but more of like, a uh, you know, um, cultural photographer. Mm-hmm. Um, but she does do a lot of conservation work, a lot, you know, mostly from like a indigenous community standpoint. Uh, uh yeah. but she has this concept of enoughness that she talks about. I think she did a Ted talk on it. Hmm. Uh, which I think is a really interesting concept of like, it kind of gets back to what we were talking about before in terms of us being this consumeristic uh, uh, society, you know, she's like, what is enough? Like, really? Like, you know, do we need all this extra stuff? Right. Like, what is it enough? Like what's enough for our happiness? And like, can we really get into that mindset of understanding what's enough and then practice that so right. that we're not just like going for the convenience factor, but um, you it's know, like, uh, focusing. like the people that always have to buy the newest iPhone. I mean, no offense right. if you own the newest iPhone listeners, no. but, I <laughs> uh, I mean, I still have like a really old iPhone. It's an iPhone seven, but I don't know. It's like, it's fine. It it's, works. It's yeah. really good. Like until it breaks, I'm probably not going to replace it, you know? Right. Yeah. So Anyway, I think that I think that's I think that's an important topic for people to start thinking about because I feel like there's going to be a reckoning in maybe not in our lifetime, but maybe like in the next generation or two, where like there's not going to be enough to go around to right provide for everyone's consumer needs, and it's going to be an interesting uh, situation. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, yeah, and it it, it feels real uh you know like i said i'm up in vermont and um there are communities around here who are already uh talking about the quote-unquote great migration and how are we going to deal with that (laughs) 
you know, mm. in terms of infrastructure and all that. And, and that's the, you know, generation of older than us talking, having these yeah. conversations, which I think is really interesting. Um, and uh, it, it, it's made me sort of take pause and be like, this is sooner than I think we're real. We want to accept, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, thanks for those recommendations. Appreciate that. Yeah. And um, it's been really fun talking to you about your journey. Thank you. Yeah, it's been really fun chatting with you, too. Thanks a lot, Matt. All right. Well, thanks to Brenda for joining us on the podcast. I really enjoyed our conversation, and I wish you the best of luck on your new project at Outdoor Photography School. Sounds really exciting. Thanks for your support of Nature First as well. Really appreciate that. Well, if you enjoyed our conversation, there's about a 13 and a half minute uh, bonus episode over on Patreon that I think is really worth checking out. At $5 a month uh, on Patreon, you can enjoy all of our bonus episodes, so check it out. Speaking of Patreon, I wanted to thank uh, Jason Clardy for supporting us at the $20 a month level. Uh, thanks to uh, Drew Harbaugh for supporting us at the $5 a month level. And thanks to Timothy Floyd for increasing your pledge to $20 a month. I really appreciate it. All right. Well, as previously mentioned, um, we are doing something really special for reaching the $1,000 mark over on Patreon for the podcast. We are going to be giving out a Landscape Conservation Photography Award, uh, which is $1,000 plus of my own money, and uh, including some donations we've received from listeners. Thank you guys so much. And also some awesome sponsorships from, from brands um, and from other listeners as well. So far, the award is over $1,500, and we have some awesome bonus prizes, including an awesome bonus package from Shimoda Designs. So Ian um, and his amazing team over at Shimoda actually sent me the next generation of their camera backpacks, which is called the Action X series. Uh, I took it on, a, on my recent 11-day fall color photography trip, and I used it on a 16-mile backpacking overnight and I did an extensive review of that over on my blog, which you can uh, find in the liner notes. Uh, let's just say that I was very impressed with it. Uh, Shimoda is donating to the winner of the Conservation Award a camera bag of their choice, a core unit, and a roller and accessory case, a $779 value. Also, I have to thank uh, Read Art and Imaging. They are a fine art print lab located in Denver, Colorado. They do amazing high-end acrylic prints, and they are donating to the winner of the award a $500 credit towards the purchase of an acrylic print. Uh, thanks also to Tamron, the uh, camera lens manufacturer. They are donating to the winner a 45mm f1.8 lens, which is a $599 value. Also, thanks to Viewbug, uh, the popular photo sharing and contest website. They're donating a Pro Plus membership to the winner, winner of the award, which is a $179 value. And last but not least, uh, QT Luang is donating a limited edition copy of his award-winning photo book, Treasured Lands. Treasured Lands is a book all about the 61 U.S. national parks with uh, location and photography notes for each photograph. Uh, the limited edition version is valued at $245. All 
All right. Well, thank you to everyone who makes that award possible over on Patreon. And uh, really have to give a huge shout out to the people we like to call our Patreon podcast producers who help us at $20 a month more. And um, we do a, a monthly Google Hangout. And I've actually got one coming tomorrow. Uh, so, well, tomorrow, as in tomorrow literally. <laughs> Not tomorrow when the podcast goes out. But anyway, I look forward to hearing from you guys, um, including Jack Curran, who I'm looking forward to seeing at uh, Out of Yosemite. Uh, Eric Stensland, he has an amazing gallery in uh, Estes Park, which you should check out. Uh, Chris Rice. Uh, Jeff Peterson, who does an awesome job at the art fair circuit. Uh, David Kingham, who is the co-owner of uh, Nash, of NPN. Charlotte Gibb, who I'm looking forward to seeing at uh, out of Yosemite as well. Uh, Anton Everine, Laurie Berenson, William Nurse, Ken Dono, uh, Danny LeFrancois, James Bakavoy, uh, Matthias uh, Joland, Richard Wong, Zachary Smith, Frank Otto Peterson, Michael Rung, Suzanne Mathia, Timothy Floyd, and Jason Clardy. Um, you guys are awesome. I, I know I say that every episode, but really, I can't tell you how much I appreciate your support of the show. I, I can't do the show without your help, so thank you. All right. Well, I'm really excited to announce that I have officially joined as an instructor at the esteemed Landscape Photography Conference out of Chicago. I'll be joining them for three conferences this year, out of Moab, out of Acadia, and out of Yosemite. Out of Yosemite will be on, Febu uh, be on February 5th through the 9th, uh, 2020, and I'll be teaching, I'll be recording podcasts, and I'll be hosting panel discussions with some of our favorite photographers and past guests, including Alex Noriega, Colleen Minnick, Charlotte Gibb, Jack Curran, and Michael Fry, and many more. I hope to see you there. If you're interested in attending, you can follow the link in the liner notes and use the code FSTOP250 for $250 off your registration. All right, well, let's talk about who we have coming up on the podcast. So next up, uh, we've recorded recently uh, with a photographer named Mahesh Thapa. Uh, that was really fun, and I can't wait to release that one. This weekend, uh, coming up, I'll be recording with uh, both Michael Fry and Dylan Fox. Um, I'll be recording soon with Mandy Lee. Uh, she was recommended to us by Josh Cripps on episode tw 28. Uh, she's traveling the country in an RV, taking great photos along the way. Also, we have uh, Carl Vandenboom. He's the founder of Valerie Photography Gloves. And we have Michael Strickland, a film photographer who specializes in panoramic uh, film photography, which if you haven't seen his work, you should check it out. It's really interesting. And then lastly, I'm really excited for a panel conversation we have coming up in January with uh, Suzanne Mathia, Alex Noriega, Alex Nail, Guy Tal, Sean Bagshaw, David Cobb, and Lynn Metcalf. We'll be talking all about photography education and different ways of doing that. Um, really looking forward to that one. All right. Well, thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. We'll see you next week. <laughs>